0: In heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning to be able to worship you. Uh, Thank you so much that there is grace and there is welcome and there is hope and there's comfort in your presence. Uh, Thank you that we can sing it as well uh, with my soul because we know that though the circumstances of life, the wind and the waves, buffet against us, though circumstances are out of our control, we know that there's a God whose name the wind and waves still know, there's a God who's sovereign over all things. And we know that that sovereign king is altogether good and altogether powerful, altogether loving and altogether wise. And because of that, because you've shown that to us through your word and you've shown that through the giving of your one and only son, we see that through the cross, we see that in Gethsemane, we see that in the resurrection. And because of these things, we're reminded of as we gather as your people we can say it is well with my soul father we pray that you would inspire hope and faith and love to rise up within us even this morning we thank you that what you do in our lives and what you do for us is meant to not just be kept within our hearts but it's meant to be turned outward to be given to a world that's in need so, Father, would you open our eyes, even in the midst of uh, the times in which we live, to see not only the cosmic level brokenness, but to see the brokenness within individuals, to look in the eyes of people and to see, though made in the image of God, there's, uh, there's a confusion in who they are, their worth, their value. There's confusion as to why they're alive. And we pray that you would help us to bring that hope, that you would help us to glorify your name by equipping Christ-centered leaders in whatever form in which we gather in order that they might go forth and transform the world. We thank you that you allow us to do that even in this digital space and online space in which we're living now. We pray that you would help us to use creative ways and means in order to get the message of the gospel across to people both as a church at large as well as as individuals. Pray that you would help us to be ones who fight to see that which is wrong and to make it right and to be agents of loving compassion in this world as we humbly walk with you. We thank you for missionaries and other friends of ours who are serving you faithfully as we lift up those who are serving in the countries in which they serve. Know that some of them have returned uh, to their homes in America or wherever it might be during this particular time because of the COVID-19, because of restrictions, uh, some because of family situations. We remember them like Dale and Sunny Cho who this morning um, are grieving the loss of Dale's mother and her entrance into and reception in the glory. We pray that you would minister to their hearts during this time and allow them to really experience and encounter you and bless the work that they're doing in Spain. We pray for your blessing over our missionaries in Cameroon, Africa, in Istanbul, Turkey, in Jordan. We lift up our workers who are serving you from Thailand and in jo- in Japan, uh, those uh, others who serve in Japan and amongst the Uyghur people of China. We pray for our, our workers who are uh, serving in Bangkok and our workers who are serving in Kyrgyzstan. We lift Lift up those who labor faithfully in in Vietnam, in Taiwan, and in Myanmar for the sake of the spread of the gospel, for those in college campuses and working in different ways, places in Ecuador, Nicaragua, as you know their names, um, you know their faces, you know their needs and their struggles. We ask that you would help us uh, to be faithful in our prayers um, when so much has changed you don't. So much has changed. The mission of the church hasn't. We pray that you would help us to stay laser focused on that which you've called us to be, finding hope in being the church, the church that you've called us and saved us to be. And so in the midst of all that is happening in this world, we pray that you would give us now ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church. We pray that you would help us to take your word as good news before it becomes good advice. And as we hear the gospel, may it lead us into action. Pray that you would be with me, my gracious master, and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, through your people who gather in person and who gather online. May your fame spread to the ends of the earth through your church. We thank you. We love you. Give us now ears to hear and then the joyful obedience in order that the world be changed through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, welcome. Uh, Thanks again for being the church and for bringing it uh, into this room, as well as for those who are worshiping with us online. Uh, Thank you so much for um, worshiping in in that way. Um, Hopefully, for those who are worshiping online, uh, you would save uh, some seats for us (laughs) over the next couple weeks Uh, for those who kind of came in after um, Eugene's greeting after this week, for the next two weeks, we're going to be taking um, a two-week break from meeting in person, and we're going to be meeting uh, online wor- for worship um, solely. So we'll be worshiping for the next two weeks, two Sundays online um, because of the, just the, the rise and the spike in COVID-19 cases here in the state of Florida um, as well as the fact that some of our folks have been exposed to those who have it. And so we want to monitor for a couple weeks um, and continue to worship online. So please uh, make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, for those who are intending on coming, um, we'll send out um, messages and alerts and things like that to let you know what's happening. Uh, we're, we're living in this year, 2020, and uh, this week, uh, this Wednesday, actually marks the beginning of the second half of, of 2020. I don't know. Hopefully that comes as good news for uh, many of you. I know that for some, this has been for, for all of us. This has been a difficult difficult go. Um, but I, I saw a um, I saw this picture. It was a cartoon of these uh, folks, and they were all uh, standing with one leader, and there were a bunch of people behind him, and they had a pole that was probably about 10 feet long, and he was kind of poking open a door. And the door said <laughs> July 2020. It's kind of like, what's hiding behind that door? I don't know if that's how you feel as we enter into the second half of the year, but yesterday um, in the back, after our praise leaders were practicing, a few of us were we just gathered back there. We were socially distanced and we had our masks on and we were just talking about. Um, a couple of the folks were saying, you know what, when 2020 started, we had such high hopes and such high expectations. Like we had in our mind a picture of what this was going to be. It was going to be weddings. It was going to be celebrations. It was going to be milestone anniversaries. It was going to be graduations. It was going to be birthdays that we celebrate with our friends. And while those things have still happened at a certain level, the celebrations have been a lot more muted and a lot more quiet than we anticipated. They would be a lot different than we originally supposed that they would be, instead it's been replaced not celebration after celebration, but it's been sorrow after sorrow for many of us. Tim Keller writes this book called Walking with God uh, Through Pain and Suffering, something to that effect, and what he says is that one of the great gifts of a culture to its people is. It gives the lens through which we view suffering. How do we deal with, how do we interpret, how do we work through suffering in our lives? That's one of the great gifts that a culture gives to its people. And what he was saying as he cited the examples of many different sociologists and studies that were done, his conclusion and their conclusion is that our Western American culture is the worst culture in the history of civilization at preparing its people for suffering. In terms of how do you deal with suffering when it comes? How do you prepare for suffering? How do you understand suffering? What is the meaning and the purpose of suffering? He's saying that Americans have been in his, historically the worst in terms of preparing its people for suffering. this year has brought upon us a lot of suffering and if there's one thing that it's exposing be it covid 19 the pandemic be it um, the racial injustice and the fighting that's been going all, all the politicizing of everything even you know, things like the, the, the virus itself has become so politicized. Some group of people saying you shouldn't wear masks. Some group saying you should wear masks. Some saying they don't help. Some say they do help. But even all of these things are politicized, and it's shown and blowing up in a nation that is on fire right now. It's showing us that we don't know how to deal with suffering. We don't know how to interpret it. We don't know how to face it. We don't know how to work around it. We don't know. And so the greatest gift that American culture gives when it comes to suffering is just avoid it at all costs. But what happens when it comes? So what do we do living here in America as we try to figure out how do we deal with suffering in our lives? Well, it's what we do whether we live in America or anywhere else, whatever our culture tells us. Uh, We go into the Word of God because the Word of God through and through is not... Uh, a message whose theology is avoid suffering at all costs. It says in this world there will be suffering, there will be pain, there will be hardship, there will be sorrow upon sorrow in this broken world. It tells us where it came from, it tells us how to deal with it, it tells us what God did about it and what God's doing, and how we can go through it. So I wanna just look at one verse today and try and kinda hang this as a banner over our heads today to talk about in the midst of what we might be going through as a church, as individuals, as a nation, words that may give us guidance, instruction and hopefully would be before all that it would be gospel to us. I'm gonna read from Matthew chapter five verse four Uh, one verse we're gonna hang it up as a banner over us and then we're gonna kind of try to see what it means in our lives. Matthew chapter five verse four Jesus says blessed are those who who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay. All right. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Right. This is God's Word. What does this mean? What is Jesus talking about here? As I read through, um, so our church is built on several different house churches, about 15 of them that meet throughout the week. And um, each week, different shepherds will send their report with the prayer request, things that were shared by people within their house church community. And as I read this week about the things that are going on in the lives of people within our house churches, I realize there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of grieving going on over things that we all are familiar with, the elephants in our room, be it related to a pandemic and and globally what that means for our job and the economy and all that stuff, but also as it relates to um, racism. There are people who are saying, I am just broken and grieving over the racial injustice and the divide within our nation. Uh, Obviously, there are some who are grieving the the passing of of one of our uh, one of our brothers, James. There are others um, this morning you might have seen on Facebook. One of our sisters, Yin posted that her father went home to be with the Lord um, just a couple of days ago. Um, there's a lot of grief, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of pain. What do we do in the midst of this? Like, how are we dealing with the pain? in our lives. A few months ago, we went through a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Getting Beneath the Surface. And one of the things that we talked about was there's a gracious invitation that God gives to us through pain, through grief, through loss. There's something beautiful that God wants to do in the midst of it that He cannot do if our main posture towards suffering is to avoid it at all costs. What does Jesus say? He says there's a gift in mourning our losses, in walking through suffering, and my outline is very simple. It's okay, it's right, and it's a blessing. Okay. So what do we see here? Here's the first thing. It's okay to mourn despite what others might tell you. It's okay to mourn. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've been sad. Maybe your pet hamster died and you were crying and crying and crying and your Asian parents told you, don't cry, stop crying. Have you ever been like that? There are a lot of voices that are telling us that we don't have the permission to mourn that which is broken in our lives and that which is broken in our world. In our world, we see in the year 2020, you turn on the news any day, every day, and you'll hear all kinds of news that's being reported. Uh, two days ago, it was yesterday morning, uh, yesterday morning, they said in the state of Florida, 9,500 people new cases of COVID-19. That's 9,500 people people. Do you understand? When, so, I, I was not aware of this, but yesterday as we were talking, someone was like, oh, yeah, you know what? They, they were saying in South Korea, there's a new outbreak. There's fears of a new outbreak because today, 60 new cases of COVID-19 have been reported. 60. We're here, 9,500 in the state of Florida alone. But it just gets reported like, oh, no big deal. 9,500 people, about 100 some people died. Now on to sports today. Because the news gets reported in the inner cities of Chicago, 15 people were killed today. Uh, also in the news today, we have this thing going on. It, news gets reported, but it doesn't get lamented. Do you understand? Things that are lamentable and things that ought to be mourned and things that ought to be grieved over, at least here in America. I don't know how it is everywhere. You see news reports in, in the Middle East, for example. Um, this mosque got bombed or this uh, town square got bombed. And you see people in their full uh, Arabic clothes, their hijab, whatever it is that they're wearing. And they're just weeping and they're wailing and they're banging on the floor floors. Different cultures deal with grief and suffering and brokenness and mourning and sorrow in different ways, but one thing that at least the sociologist that Tim Keller has cited says that Americans are the worst civilization, culture, in history when it comes to dealing with suffering and pain. We report on it, but we don't lament it. And so what do you do if your culture does not tell you how to deal with it? We begin borrowing from other people and other places and how they tell us to deal with it. That's why there's such a syncretistic religion. Oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm not a religious person. Thank you very much. I'm spiritual. I go to church, but I also adopt Buddhist principles. I also do the Hinduistic yoga principles. I'm also into like Kundalini and all of these other things. But I'm just a, I, we, we just coexist. We borrow from other places in order to deal with the pain. If suffering in itself, as the American culture says, cannot be avoided, then what do we do? We deal with it in whatever ways that we can. We become like Buddhists. I like the Buddhist ideology that says I need to find separation and become part of a drop in the massive ocean of life so that I'm not touched by the suffering in this world. We deal with it in different ways, and even as Christians... Maybe we feel like we haven't been given the permission to grieve. I can can tell you, and so this was hard for me, thinking of which example to use of funerals that I've been to of Christians who were not given the permission to grieve. It's a celebration. They're in heaven. We can celebrate. We can rejoice in the hope of heaven. They're not sad. They're alive. Why are you sad, they say to us? Is it true? that the hope of heaven is real? Absolutely, but it's only half true when it comes to how we ought to walk with and deal with the brokenness and the reality of death in this world because death is an enemy of God. It came because we rebelled against God. Sin and its effects brought death into the world. Death is not something in whose face we are to say, oh, you know what, this is a great deal. Everything is fine because we're jumping ahead into the resurrection on the third day. We have to go through Calvary in order to go to the resurrection, you see. We have to go through... Through Good Friday in order to get to Easter, and unless we do, then the greatness of an empty tomb will not have as much significance and will not elicit this life-giving joy and a rejoicing that it ought to unless we understand the depth of the sorrow that came through the week of the Passion and Good Friday. But a lot of times, we don't feel we've been given the permission to grieve. And what happens when we don't? So I was at a funeral one time a couple years back where the person who was deceased, uh, they had died of an an illness. They knew that it was coming, but it was uh, quick to come, and it took their life. And as they were there, there was hardship, there was grief. But we got to the funeral, and as I went up to the front to, to say hello to the family a few minutes before it started, it almost seemed as if the spouse of the person who had passed away was at the funeral of someone that they did not know. Almost as if they were at, I don't know, they'd stumbled into uh, a different funeral or they were at a, a completely different gathering altogether. They had a smile on their face. There, was, there seemed no sorrow in them. And I said, how, yeah, how, how are you feeling? And they said, well, I'm doing great because This person loved life so much. All of life was a celebration, and they would be really upset and really sad, and we would not honor their life if we were sad on this day. They would not want us to be sad for them. And I thought to myself how tragic it is that we jump over the reality and deny the elephant that is weighing down our hearts for the sake of one who's already experiencing the glory, something completely other than what we're feeling and facing right now. See, what happens when we don't deal with the mourning and the grief and the suffering, here's what happens, repression, almost always leads to depression. And maybe some of you are here, and there's been loss in your life, there's been pain in your life, there's been grief in your life that you have yet to work through. And you're wondering why you feel emotionally stuck in a certain place. If you don't mourn over your losses, you will deal with it in a different way. And here's how an Asian person that I heard about, she's now in her 60s. This is how she dealt with it because I heard about her when she was in her 50s. The way that she dealt with it, her counselor was saying um, she had a room full of shoes, room full of shoes. And every time something difficult in life would happen, she would go to the store and she would buy shoes. And so that room full of shoes was a visual reminder of all of the brokenness that she'd experienced in life that had never been dealt with. Why? When she was little, as a little Asian girl, one day she cried and she was mourning over some loss in her life um, that... As I remember correctly now, I told it wrong in Alpha Service, but she had um, uh, all the other kids in the family had gotten a toy, but they ran out of uh, money for her to get something, and so she couldn't get what she wanted. And she came home, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried, and her dad said, don't cry. That's not something to cry about. Girls ought not to cry. And so he said, come with me, and he went to the store, and he bought her a pair of shoes, and he said, now you don't ever need to cry again. unless we deal with the brokenness and the sorrow and the need to grieve and to mourn within our lives, we will deal with it in some other way. That's why, that's why reality TV makes all of its money. Because you've got the biggest loser, or you've got this hoarder, or you've got this person who's got like a million cats, or you've got people who go on shows like Bachelor Nation or whatever it is, because they've learned to cope with, with their losses through addiction, through relationship, through something, something dysfunctional that has been blocked within their hearts, and so they learn to deal with it in some other way. What have you been told about mourning your losses? Because if you don't feel the permission to mourn, then you will deal with your pain and your suffering in some other way. How are you dealing with it? What are you doing in order to deal with it? Because all of these voices around us may be telling us to deny the pain, to deny the sorrow, to deny the suffering. But rising up amongst all of those voices is the voice, the sovereign, great I am, who speaks these words and says, Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus could have said a million different things about mourning. Here's what he does not say, contra to what our culture might tell us or what people at those funerals might say. He does not say, lacking in faith are those who mourn. Do you understand that? Because the Lutherans, if you grew up in a Lutheran tradition, Martin Luther, their tradition said you don't grieve, you don't weep, you don't mourn, you rejoice at a funeral because that is the ultimate sign of faith in a God who has conquered over death. You do not grieve, you do not show sadness, you rejoice and you rejoice alone. And maybe that's what we think is the pinnacle of faith in the face of sorrow and hurt and pain and grief and loss and death. But to do so is to ignore the clear teaching of Scripture. And we'll see this in a second. But Jesus does not say, lacking in faith or weak in faith are they who mourn. He doesn't say, pitied are those who mourn. There's a lot of different things that our world says about those who mourn. So sad are they who mourn. Eternally depressed are those who mourn. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, listen, no matter what other people tell you, it is okay for you to mourn the losses in your life. But that's only the first thing that we see here. Because going on, we not only see that it's okay, but the second thing that we see is that it's right to mourn in light of sin and its effects. It's not only okay, like I, we give you permission to mourn. It's all right, go ahead and mourn. Jesus says it's right. To mourn. In other words, if you look at the brokenness and the sorrow and the suffering in this world, okay, let's call it what is it? It's sickness, it's disease, it's racism, it's injustice, it's the death of a loved one. If you look at those things and you don't mourn, what Jesus is saying is that's not right. Can we give you and can you give yourself permission? to mourn that which has been lost in your life?" It's right to mourn because in Genesis 3 when sin enters into this broken world, when that first choice that Adam and Eve made to deny and to turn their back on their maker, when that happened, all of a sudden Pandora's box of evil and the effects of sin were unleashed into the world. Obviously, sin, there was sickness, there was injustice, there was racism, there was natural disaster, there were all kinds of evils ultimately leading in death. Everything evil that you can imagine, those are not things to be embraced and say, oh, you know what, this is a great thing. No, this came as a result of our rebellion against God. And so when these things entered into our world, Jesus says it is right for us to mourn over the effects of sin in our lives as you see these things then. Because if we don't, right, if knowing that we don't mourn, then what we're ignoring is, one, the massive elephant of the brokenness in the world that is real, but two, the massive elephant of all the witnesses in Scripture that tell us that it is right to mourn over the effects of sin in our world. You see this all the way back in Genesis, uh, Genesis, I think, 23, Abraham weeps over the death of his wife, Sarah. In Genesis 37, when uh, Joseph's brothers tell their father, Jacob, oh my gosh, we took this, this, this son, we, we found his, his, his robe, it was bloodied, it was beaten, he must be dead. Jacob weeps over the loss, supposed loss, of his son Joseph. You see this in the people of God in Israel. When Moses dies, when Aaron dies, when Samuel dies, they mourn for days over his loss, over his passing. The book of Psalms, which was the worship book, if we sing songs of the church up here, the ancient Israelites, the people of God used to sing the songs of the church in the hymnal. Their psalter, uh, their song book was the book of Psalms, and two thirds of them are painfully honest in their lament. Like, God, what in the world is going on here? God, how long, O oh Lord, until you fix these things? God, I feel like I've been eating tears as my food all night long. I'm groaning. I hate life. This is terrible. Where are you in the midst of this? Two-thirds of the Psalms speak with that kind of language. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible that's filled with and also named after that kind of psalm called Lamentations, where the brokenness of the world causes the prophet Jeremiah to lament and to mourn and to grieve. To ignore the call to mourn then and to ignore that and say, just suck it up, you got to be better, is to ignore all of these pages of Scripture. In fact, one of the verses that you know by memory, maybe one of the only ones, in John 11, it says, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep if he knew that in just a few moments he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why did Jesus weep in the middle of the book when he knew what the rest of the story was going to say? He wasn't weeping at the fact that Lazarus was dead. He was weeping over the brokenness of this world and the effects that sin had on the lives of people that he loved. That's why he, and it's not just like a one tear that comes down, from, but it's a violent, from the guttural weeping, the word that is used in the Gospel of John to describe the kind of weeping, the mourning, the, the, the in the face of death, honesty that Jesus brings in light of the effects of sin in the world. How have you dealt with all of the craziness and the wildness of this year? Some of you, because of the effects of what's happened this year, have been separated from your family. Some of you, because of the effects of COVID-19, you're not, you've lost income, you've lost work, you've lost money, how are you dealing with these things, you've lost dreams, like hopes that you had. You thought you were going to be in, in, in this line of work, or you thought you were going to be here. You thought you'd be married. How are you dealing with the loss of those things? Closer to home, as we deal with the loss of loved ones in our lives, how are we dealing with that? Do you know that you have the permission from God in His Word? That it's okay and it's right to mourn, to grieve, to be all right with that. And the sooner, can I tell you this, the sooner we do it, the healthier it will be. The longer you wait to mourn, the harder it will be and the harder your heart will become. Can I tell you about a friend that I knew who was a When they were a teenager, okay? When he was a teenager, his mother passed away, was sick. And so, again, somewhat expected but unexpected. He didn't have the best relationship with his mom. And so when she passed away, it's the kind of thing, well, I've got time to make it right with my mom before she passes. I've got time. And then all of a sudden, uh, one day piled on top of another, and her death day came. And it happened a lot sooner than he was ready for. And so when she passed... His heart was filled with guilt, filled with this weightiness of what he did not do, what he did not say, of what he could have, of sorries that were not spoken, apologies that were not given, forgiveness that was not extended. And so what did he do? He didn't want to deal with that pain. He didn't want to deal with that grief. He didn't want to mourn the loss. And so he just, as a cerebral act, an act of the mind and an act of the will, he just cut off memory of his mother. He would think about her on the day that she passed every year, but he just cut her off, wouldn't think about it, wouldn't let himself get emotionally entangled with the passing of his mother. He just cut the relationship off for all intents and purposes. Now as a 30-some-year-old man, if you look back at his life, you will see that there's a pattern in his life. Whenever a relationship gets a little bit uncomfortable, he has no problem cutting that relationship off, it just, it's just, it's unemotional. It's just, it's all an act of the will. Volitional, it's all in the mind. I just cut off that relationship. I'm going to block them from my phone, going to block them from social media, won't answer their calls, will change my number in order to move on. And one relationship after another relationship after another relationship, as soon as it gets a little bit uncomfortable, as soon as I need to deal with something in this relationship, I'm just going to cut them off, delete them from my phone, put their uh, call, put their phone number on block, and I'm just going to move on with life. Because if we don't deal with our losses in the right way, with mourning, we will deal with it in a different way. But those hurts and those realities don't go away. They will always come back to surface at some point in our lives and oftentimes at many points in our lives. What does it mean to mourn? Can I just give you four just real quick thoughts? four things that it means. And and it doesn't always happen in sequential order because grieving and mourning and pain and loss all happen in, in this intermingled web that isn't cut and dry and logical sometimes. But here's the first thing, candor. Can you be candid with yourself, be honest with yourself about how you feel? To not deny the reality, to not cover it up with biblical language, like that's what Martha did, in the face of the death of her uh, brother Lazarus. I know he'll rise again. Yeah, he's a resurrection of the life. Yeah, he's going to come in. They were pithy platitudes, but it wasn't honestly dealing with what was really going on inside of a person's heart. Can you be honest with yourself? Part of what that means is you need to give yourself the space to do this, maybe to get a journal and to begin to write what you're feeling about these losses. And to know that there will be feelings that come to you. But to be honest with yourself, I mean, that's where we've got to start. The second thing is cry, to cry. I would imagine that if a loss is significant in your life, that it would lead to some kind of emotion in it. If your family member passes away, and there is a stoicism in your demeanor, then there's probably an indication that it's either been repressed and buried or we're just not being honest with ourselves. Can you be honest in order to let the tears come if they need? There was a song back in the day, I don't know who sings it or where it comes out on, I just, I, I searched the words and I found this like grainy video. It says, it's all right to cry. <laughs> Crying gets the sad out of you. It's all right to cry. Uh, It might even make you happy. So something like that. Raindrops from your eyes can wipe away, take away the anger and make you no longer mad or something to that effect. Even, Even the world back at least in the 70s and 80s knew that it was all right to cry. One of the greatest gifts to me And I don't cry often, I don't think. Um, Part of it is I I don't want to, not in front of people at least. I try not to cry during movies unless I'm watching it by myself, which never happens, so I try not to cry when I watch movies. I cry when I think about songs of praise and worship sometimes, but often uh, outside of that context, I don't often cry. But one of the great gifts to me um, in these past couple weeks has been the gift of tears that have come. And they've watered it, they've softened a heart that had been hardened by grief and by pain and by loss. When's the last time you cried, not at a movie, but the last time you cried over the effects of sin in our world? Cry alone, cry with others, cry with your spouse, Cry with your friends, <laughs> It's like cry with, you do not like green eggs and ham, I don't know how you cry, but cry whatever way you need to cry, but being honest about your emotions. Candor, cry, the third is complain. Can you complain to God? You can be honest with God. Bring your pain, bring your hurt, bring your complaints before the Lord. God, why? This doesn't make sense. Like, why now? Why when I needed it the most? Why now? Complain. God can handle it. You have the permission to do that. That's part of mourning. That's part of grieving. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem because they turned away from him, he didn't say, you know, he didn't spout out any of these, like, uh, sayings of Scripture. He said, no, he began to weep. He just began to weep over Jerusalem. He had to cry when when David lost his son, born out of wedlock to Bathsheba. It says he wept and he mourned and he cried over the loss of his child. Job complained and he was completely honest in the presence of God. Job 1.20, it says he tore his clothes and he wept. And then it says in Job 1.22, it says in all these things Job did not sin. What does that mean? It means you can kick and scream and complain before God and be honest with Him, not telling Him what you think He wants to hear or what He thinks He wants you to feel, but what you actually think, what you actually feel, what you're actually going through, because God knows those things anyway. And to say something other than what your heart is feeling is to deny the reality. And you can never experience intimacy with someone when you're thinking, feeling one thing and you're saying another thing. One of the prayer exercises that I make myself go through is as you pray today, David, don't pray using language you've used before. Use different words. Use new words. Force yourself to think so that your mind doesn't go into autopilot when you pray. Think about what you're praying. Be honest with God. Don't tell Him what you think He wants to hear. Tell Him what you're feeling. Tell Him what's in your heart and speak to Him with those words. As Job complained, and we go past Job chapter 1, he starts saying some downright awful things before God, questioning, complaining, asking God for 35 chapters, he does that, and then God just speaks in a whirlwind, and he just, he's like, Job, I'm God, and you're not. And in the midst of all of that complaining, when God talks about who Job is at the end to Job's flawed friends the overwhelming report of god about job in the midst of all of his negativity it's an extremely positive assessment of job it says you can complain because that's where you encounter god in any relationship To smooth things over and say everything is fine, everything is cool, everything is good, even though everyone knows there's, even though both parties knows it's not, is to ignore a massive elephant that stands in the way of intimacy between you and that other person. The same is true with God. You can complain before God. That's part of mourning. And then the last part of mourning, right? Candor, crying, complaint, call on God. What is it that you need from Him? God, I need strength to make it through this week. God, I need strength in order to be able to go to work today. I need comfort. Man, my heart is broken. I need wisdom. I need love. I need grace. I need a friend. I need something to call on God and to bring your heart before Him. In the midst of a world that is broken, What does it look like for you to mourn the losses that you've experienced in the past, in this year? It's okay to mourn. It's right to mourn. But here's the last thing. Jesus says, if you do this, it's so much better than just being okay and being right. Here's what he says in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The The last thought is... It is a blessing to mourn if you're a child of God. It's a blessing for you to mourn. Why? Not because you get this catharsis. Not because you finally got it off your chest. He says the reason you're blessed when you mourn is because you will be comforted. So over these past couple weeks... As I've been engaging in conversation with people, both here at Harvest and as well as friends from afar, I've been talking to them about different situations, and a lot of them calling and, and, and FaceTiming and things like that in the face of James's passing, but also some of their own suffering and hardship that they're going through in these times. Um, it just seems like this year it's not just, it's not related to the things that are going on globally, but. It's people that we know, people that I know, friends getting sick, it's cancer, it's heart attack, it's whatever it is. It's almost like at, at the beginning of this year, like five months ago when, when, when Kobe Bryant passed away, it, it's almost like for, for once in our nation, for the first time in, as long as I can remember, like collectively as, a, as an entity, like the people of America, we grieved together. You know, like people posting things and people talking about things and people on on every news channel talking about how heartbreaking this is and how devastating it is. It's almost as if eerily, almost as if, hey, this is January. There's going to be more suffering to come. We need to learn how to mourn. We need to learn how to grieve. We need to learn how to deal with the losses in our lives over these past couple weeks as I talked to my friends, and these are guys I've, I've shared countless meals with, lived together, laughed together, played basketball together, done ministry together. But can I tell you that the handful of times that I've been on the phone, on a FaceTime call or been in person with someone and just wept as I talked about the sorrow that I was feeling in my heart, Can I tell you that in that one minute of mourning and comfort or those five minutes of FaceTime calls or those 20-minute phone calls that I experienced so much more intimacy and life than I could have in all these years uh, running around playing sports or eating meals together? There is a comfort that comes, which is why Paul says, mourn with those who mourn. This is life in the community of faith. Mourn with those who mourn. And you'll experience a webbing together of hearts and souls collectively in a way that nothing else in this life can. But is that what Jesus is saying? Because we have to make it clear. Jesus isn't giving this blanket statement, hey, guys, it's okay to mourn. It's right to mourn. Cry because then people are going to come and they're going to love you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Don't mistake what Jesus is saying. These words are in red. They're written in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, in the context of 9, 10 Beatitudes where Jesus is saying, this is life in my kingdom. In other words, we did what we cannot do, is we isolated verse 4 from the context of verses 3 through 10. But what the proper way to see it would be, To understand that you cannot say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted unless you say, who are those who mourn and will find comfort? It's those who are poor in spirit who realize that when I come before God, I've got nothing to offer to you. Therefore, in bankruptcy, in poverty of spirit, I need the grace of God to save me. It's those people by faith who are brought into the kingdom of heaven. It's those when they mourn, they will be comforted. What else describes these kind of people? I'll tell you, it's those who are meek. And realize that though you've been given everything from God, you use none of that for your own self. Those are the ones. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because we know in our own lives we don't have the righteousness to make it to heaven. So we hunger and we thirst and we say, Jesus, whatever you say to do, I can only get in by the grace of God. He says, as soon as you acknowledge your lack thereof that's when the doors to heaven are thrust wide open to you. Anybody who does that, who are the ones who when they mourn are comforted? It's those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's the merciful because they've received mercy. It's the pure in heart by virtue of being cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's those who, knowing the peace of God, make peace with others. It's those who, because of righteousness, are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the people of God. This is the word of God for the people of God, not a blanket statement for anyone in the midst of suffering. He's not talking to those outside of the kingdom, outside of the family, outside of the church. When you mourn, you'll be comforted. That's not what he's saying. Yeah, by common grace, that's there. But what Jesus is giving here is a particular promise for the child of God. When you mourn, the comfort of God will come running to you. How? By whom? If it's that great for us to experience the comfort when we mourn from people, how infinitely greater is the comfort that comes from God himself to you in your mourning and in your brokenness and in your sorrow and in your loss. That's the promise of Jesus here. What does it mean Jesus is saying then? what Psalm 34:18 says and this has been again a banner that I've hung in my heart as I pray for people in my life whom I care about who have suffered the deep woes of loss Psalm 34:18 says God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed In spirit, When you know your heart is broken, when you know your spirit is crushed and you bring that before the Lord God, what does God do? He says, I come running to those people and I am near to them in a way, in a nearness, like unlike anything that you've experienced before in this life. The nearness of God comes to the child of God who mourns according to the word of God. Can I ask you a question then? How are you dealing with the brokenness of 2020? Last night or this morning, I went back and I looked at um, the first sermon that I preached when this pandemic began coming to our area, that first worship service when we were exclusively online. And one of the things that I said was, your 10-second prayer to God could eradicate the coronavirus forever. But what I said was, and I, and this was my suspicion, that I wonder if God will not rid us of this pandemic until we begin to hear what He is saying to us. Can I tell you, it would be a wasted time year in a wasted pandemic if we went back to life as normal before all of these things happened, right? Don't you think that would be a colossal waste of a year if I was just as sinful? Like what more would God need to do in order to get our attention so that we could hear what He's been trying to say to a church long before coronavirus ever entered into our vocabulary? How are you dealing with this pandemic? What are you doing in order to deal? Because Ecclesiastes 3 says, there is a time for everything and a season for everything under the sun. What is, there's a time to weep, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. Can I tell you something? I believe with all of my heart that this is a time to mourn. Not a time to distract ourselves. It's fine that you get into Uh, Nintendo Switch. It's fine that you're getting into these new uh, Korean dramas that are teaching you to learn the language. It's fine that you're watching Netflix and watching these, these, these new movies that have come out. It's fine that you're doing all of these things, but don't let it come at the expense of your mourning over your sin and over the sorrow in this world and the brokenness and the fallenness and the effects of sin in our world. Don't waste this moment. There's something that God is wanting to do in us, for us, through us, by us as we take these words to heart. This is a time to mourn. I remember early on during this pandemic when uh, Francis Chan was was talking and he said, uh, he was talking with a friend and he asked his friend how he's doing. He's like, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm about to leave my wife because I've been, you know, I've been seeing this other woman. And Francis stopped him and he said, whoa, this is not This, of all times, is not a time for you to be engaging in sin. This is a time for you to be turning back to God. This is a time for us to be turning back to God, my friends. This is a time for us to be mourning, for us to be grieving over sin, its effects in our lives. This is a time for us to be grieving over the radical brokenness within the state of our nation the politicizing of agendas that keep us from fighting for the things that the Word of God tells us we ought to be fighting for. This is a time for us to be mourning and weeping over the brokenness of our world. Don't be distracted, please, from what God is wanting us to see. Because the promise of our Savior is, guys, check it. It's okay to mourn. It's right to mourn. But listen to what he says. He said, blessed are you when you mourn, for you will experience the comfort of God, the nearness of God, the intimacy with God, the nearness of God, the presence of God in a way that maybe some of us have not felt in a long, long time. Of all the things that the Bible says about God, I love the different characteristics of God, that he's endlessly patient, that God is loving, that God, I, I don't, I, I guess I love his holiness, but it's, it, it, I need to live a life of holiness if God is really holy. Not one of the first ones that I love, but I, but I ought to. He's merciful, he's gracious, but one of the things that I love the most about our God is that ours is a God who cries. That our God is a God who cries. That Jesus weeps. That Hebrew says, you and I do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was afflicted in every way so that he knows what we're going through. That when we weep, it's not like he stoically sits by and says, yep, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm God, I, yeah, I just don't know, but hey, I'll be here if you need anything, just ask me, he does. He comes near to us in our brokenness and he weeps with us because we do not have a God in heaven who does not understand. He knows what it was like to lose. His son at an age that was far too early in the minds of most people. He understands the pain of a parent who had to bury his own son, but he also knows the hope of what it means that he was raised to life on the third day. God knows what it was like for his son to experience tragic injustice and to lose his life because of some unjust, uh, whack court case that did not give a fair trial to the Son of God. He understands what it means. He knows what it's like to have lost. He knows what it's like to feel pain, and he's there with us in the midst of it all. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he teaches us, not only it's okay, not only is it right, but he teaches us the blessedness of mourning. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't say, hey, y'all, I just want you to repeat after me, God is good, you say it all the time, and all the time, God is good. He didn't say that. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even on the cross, Jesus was teaching us that we can be honest, be candid with ourselves. We can cry, we can complain, we can call out to God. We can mourn even in the face of the hardest day of his life. He shows us the blessedness that comes. Why was Jesus forsaken? He was forsaken so that we would be embraced. He was forgotten so that we would be remembered every time we call on his name. The promise of God is that when you weep, when you mourn, that not only will you find comfort in the family of God, but God himself comes near to you. Don't you want that kind of an intimacy? Don't you need that kind of an intimacy? Don't you yearn to be near to God in that way? This year is giving us an amazing opportunity to do that in the midst of sorrow after sorrow after sorrow he gives us opportunities to mourn and to mourn again and to mourn again that we might know the comfort of god a couple days ago i was talking with one of our uh, one of our brothers um, he had experienced all of the same losses that we have but he also experienced the loss of one uh, so close to him as well. In fact, um, yeah, it happened the, the the news broke the day of uh, James' funeral service. And so it was just a hard go for him. A couple of days ago, I was texting just to, to check in and see how things are going, saying, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, and texted back, and it was just over a couple messages. It said, this has definitely been the hardest week of my life. I've been so much pain and so much heaviness. And yet in the midst of it, I've never felt this close to God in a long, long time. I've experienced so much of God's love. And he's speaking to me so intimately and so closely. He said, I'm praying for you, Pastor, and I'm praying for others that they might be able to hear from God in the same way that I am. And I'm so thankful that in the hardest times of my life that God is showing up and he's meeting me in these places. That's a gift for you and for me that Jesus promised, man, I want to give this to you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray together. Can we take a moment just to hear Jesus giving you permission? It's all right. Let it get messy. That's fine but can we just be candid with ourselves for a second? How are you really doing in the face of all the losses that this year has brought to you? How is your heart? How is your soul? How have you, how have you dealt with this? Where are you today? Are you running from God? Or are you running to God? because a wise man once said the fastest way to find the sun is not to run towards the sun because it'll set. It's to run towards the darkness and the sun will rise over you. There's a gracious invitation of God when you run towards the brokenness and the sorrow and the mourning that you're feeling now. There's a comfort that he gives to you. Be be candid. Cry. Complain call out to God. spend a minute right now praying to the Lord. Before you know it, oh, there will be a nearness of God. So close, so intimate, so sweet. You almost feel the breath on your cheek. As the tears fall, the hand, the loving, nail-pierced hand of the Savior wiping the tears from your eyes. So near to you that he tastes the saltiness from your tears. This is our God, a God with scars and a God who cries, this is our God. No matter how deficient our nation, our culture has been in helping us to deal with and see and understand suffering, the gospel blows all those things out of the water, gives us a hope beyond the grave. In this life, sorrow after sorrow, bereavement after bereavement, but we're walking and marching to a land where there are no more graves, sickness, death, injustice, racism, forever vanquished because of the risen Son of God. I'll spend a minute to pray right now, asking the Lord that he would meet with us. After about 60 seconds or so, I'll pray for us. heaven as i think about these words that your son jesus spoke what comfort that it gives when i think about the big picture that we have heaven's hope that we have intimacy with our father that we have a god who weeps i must wonder to myself why would i not want to mourn over the brokenness of sin in this world if there's so much to be gained the enlarging of my soul so I can mourn with those who mourn. Intimacy with my God who comes near to me, nearer, in, possibly nearer in my brokenness and grief than in any other time. The experience of God in all of your goodness. And Father, we would be foolish to not accept the gracious invitation of God to enter into this place of mourning. Mourning for all the losses brought upon us by COVID-19. Mourning for all of the brokenness and all of the pain and all of the hurt in our black brothers and not even brothers and sisters, but black people of this world. Mourning over the injustices, mourning over the, the lies, mourning over the oppression, mourning over the heaviness in our heart as we think about those who've gone before us into glory. Father, there is a gracious invitation that you give to us that so much good will come when we give ourselves the space to mourn. So help us to do that. Tenderize hearts that have been hardened. Encourage hearts that have been shut out. Draw into intimate spaces. Hearts that have run from you. That we would know the truth that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We need you. We look to you. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.